Uh, join me in prayer now. Father, you are so worthy of all of our praise and all of our singing. And God, you've invited us into this space to be near you. So God, as we gather together, I pray that we would focus on you. And God, as we come into your presence, I ask that as we open your word, that you change our hearts, that you change our very lives in your presence. So Father, speak to everyone who's here today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, go ahead and take a seat, everyone. Well, welcome on 4th of July weekend. You made it to church. Whether you are watching us at one of the campuses or online, we are so happy that you are here with us today. And I have a question as we get started. When I say the word love, what do you think about? What do you think about? You might think about that woman or that man of your dreams. It's romantic. Or maybe it's chocolate. Or maybe it's the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, all two of you. That's awesome. Uh, You might think of different things when it comes to love. For me, it takes me all the way back to the fourth grade. Because back in the fourth grade, there was this girl named Misty who had a crush on me. And I could see why, uh, because uh, when I was in the fourth grade, I was pretty good looking, okay? Here's a picture of me when I was in elementary school. Oh, yeah. The clip-on tie really makes the outfit right there. But I was a looker when I was in elementary school, and Misty had a crush on me. Now, this was before little children were born with cell phones in their hands, so in order to profess your love to another person, you would have to write a note. And so every day in class, Misty would write me a note. And she would say, I like you. Do you like me? Check the box. And on the very bottom, there would be a box for yes. And then there would be a box for no. Well, I always drew a third box and put a line down the middle. And I would say, as a friend. And then I would mark that box, and I would send it back to her. Now, I did this for like three or four weeks. And finally, Misty gets tired of all of my little notes that I'm sending. So Misty writes me one final note. And would you believe it? After 35 years, my mom kept that actual note. I don't know if she was trying to prove that girls actually liked me or what she was trying to do. But she kept the actual note, and I brought it here to you today for your enjoyment. Here's what it says. To Andrew from Misty. And then it opens up, and it says, extra, extra, read all about it to Andrew, note at bottom. Here's what she says. Dear Andrew, I know that you like me as a friend, but you see Mark likes me. Now, if you like me for a girlfriend, tell me. Because if you don't, I'll like Mark. (laughs) But we could be friends and we could sit by each other at reading and follow-up and in the media center. But if you like me, tell me and I'll be your girlfriend. But if you don't, we could still be good friends. Sincerely, Misty. Well, this note, folks, was all that I needed. 
I got this note and I wrote her back. Oh, I wrote her back. And I said, I want you as my girlfriend. And from then on, we were going around. I mean, we were the hot item on our elementary school campus. I mean, we were holding hands. We were sitting together at reading and follow-up. And everyone knew that we were a couple. Then four days later, I show up to school, and I'm walking out to recess, and I go past the monkey bars and the playground, and I'm like, I'm going to go see my girlfriend. I am the man. And I walk out, and I'm stopped by three of Misty's very close friends. They say, you, you don't want to see Misty right now. She doesn't, she doesn't want to see you. I say, come on. I'm going to go see my girlfriend. So I pushed past her friends to see Misty crying by the big oak tree. I ran over and I said, Misty, what's wrong? She said, it's over. You're no longer my boyfriend. And she ran away. Misty broke my heart. And it lasted for about 15 minutes that I was actually concerned about it. But uh, I quickly got over it. But it was in the fourth grade that I thought I knew what love really was. But isn't it interesting? We think we know what love is. When we're kids, we have little girlfriends and we play house and mom and dads and all those things. But we really don't know what love is, right? We're just going through the motions. We're just play pretending the things that we've seen in our life. But here's what's unfortunate. I think when it comes to loving God, a lot of people do the same thing. They just go through the motions. They say they love God with their mouth, but their lifestyle doesn't really reflect it. That's why this message is so important. Because today I want to share how I believe the highest calling in life is to love God and to love other people. Jesus said so very much about this in the Bible. And one of my favorite passages of scripture is found in Mark chapter 12. And it's one of my favorites because it's a passage of scripture that was meant to be chewed on. It was something that we were to reflect on over and over and over again. Now let me set the scene as to what's happening. Jesus has gone into the city of Jerusalem right before he dies on the cross. He's heralded as the Messiah. They welcome him in. And he immediately goes into the temple on Monday and he cleans house. He turns over the tables. And from then on, the religious leaders were angry. They were mad. And so they try to knock Jesus off his pedestal. They begin to debate him in the temple courts. They try to ask him all these hard questions. Now, if you're going to go into a battle of wits... You might not want to do it with the God of the universe. Because Jesus absolutely tears them to bits. Jesus takes all their questions and he turns them upside down. And in that response to all those people, there is one scribe. One scribe who hears that Jesus is actually answering the questions well. And so that scribe actually takes the time to ask Jesus a question. And it's found in Mark chapter 12, verse number 28. Here's what it says. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him of all the commandments, 
which is the most important? So he asked them the question, Jesus, of all those commandments that are out there, which one is important? Now, this question was one that they actually had for a lot of the religious leaders. In fact, the religious leaders didn't just have 10 commandments, but they had over 600 commandments that they were living by. Also, they wouldn't break the 10 commandments that God had given them. So they actually had an order for which was the most important commandments. And they had kind of broken it down by commandment. So this scribe realizes that Jesus has given them a good answer. And so he says, well, I'm going to ask the most important one. Which is the most important commandment? Now Jesus sees that this religious leader, his intentions are pure. That he's good of heart. And so Jesus responds to his question. Here's what it says in verse 29. He says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So he starts sharing a passage of scripture that they knew. Because they knew Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's a passage that every Jewish person knew. It's actually known as the Shema in Hebrew. It was a summons for all of Israel to listen. So that's where Jesus starts. He puts God in his proper place and he says, there is a God who put everything together that we see with our eyes. There's a God who hung every star in the sky and that God is someone to listen to. Let me share this with you. If you want to break free from just going through the motions, you have to start by putting God in his proper place of authority. That's where it has to begin. You have to say, God, you're in control of everything, and now I'm living my life for you. So how is it that we can break free from just going through the motions? The first thing that you have to do is you have to understand, number one, that you were created to love God. You were created to love God. That's how God made you. That's how God puts you together. And look at what Jesus says. He says, the most important commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's what Jesus says. We are to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, our mind, and our strength. And this is an important one. Because the love that Jesus is using here isn't like a romantic love. It's not a friendly love. But it's that unconditional love that we see in God's very nature. It's the same word that's used for love in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is saying that we're to love God with that unconditional type of love. That love that says, with all that I have, with all that I am, I'm giving it to you. But then Jesus identifies four different areas that we're to love God with. With our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and our strength. And Jesus does that on purpose. Because our love for God has to be comprehensive. It has to be comprehensive. It has to be with all of us. And we have to understand those four different areas. What does it mean to love God with all of our heart? Now, this is an important one. We're to love God with our heart in the way that we make decisions. You see, in the Hebrew, the word for heart is the word lev. And the word for heart meant the seat of where every decision is made for your will. 
When you love God with all your heart, you're giving God control. You're saying, God, I don't want to make decisions for myself. I want to put you in charge. I want to follow after you. I'm letting you have control. Personally, myself, this is very hard to let go of control because I am a control freak. I love having the keys and driving the car. I hate being the passenger who rides in any vehicle. It terrifies me. I hate giving my wife the keys. I don't need to talk about that, but I don't like allowing other people to drive. I like driving. I like having control. I like driving as fast as I want to go. And that's the way most of us are. We have a hard time letting go of control. But when it comes to loving God with your heart, you say, God, I'm giving you control. God, I'm, try I'm tired of trying to do this all by myself. I want my decisions to honor you. I don't want to live my life for my own interests. I, I want to live for what you want me to live for. So you got to love God with your heart. Then he says, love God with your soul. What does it mean to love God with your soul? When it talks about the soul there, it's saying, what are you really passionate about? What things excite you? What things make you cry? Because those are the things that should mirror God. We should love God with all of our soul by crying over the things that he cries about. Getting excited over the things that he gets excited about. Now, 12 years ago, I moved to New Mexico. And this is a different world. Because I had moved from a place where we had a lot of professional sports and where we could go to like Dodger games and Angel games and football games and a lot of other stuff. Now, when I came to New Mexico, we don't have a lot of professional sports. But what New Mexico does have is the Lobo basketball team. And I didn't understand this at all. But I came here and I had some friends who were talking about, you know, you should go to a Lobo basketball game so you could see kind of what it's like. And so my friend had invited me to go and he left tickets for me to go down to the pit. And I was going down not thinking anything of it. Now, this was back when the Lobos were really good. It's been a while, okay? But Steve Alford was the coach back then. They were in the tournament like every year. And so my buddy had gotten us tickets. We went to the will call at the pit. And I looked at my tickets and it said like 350. I'm like, oh man, up in the nosebleeds, this is going to be terrible. What I didn't know is that the higher your number got, the closer you got to the basketball court. So I get my tickets right with my friends and we walk down to the seats. And like we are almost sitting on the court. And as we're sitting there watching the game, this gal who was behind us tapped us on the shoulder and she said, um, do you know the governor? We said, no. They said, because you are sitting in the governor's seats. I mean, we were right in the action. It was incredible. And I have to tell you, folks, I got caught up in the euphoria. I was screaming my head off. I was cheering so loud. I was a lobo and I was excited. I screamed so loud that I lost my voice. And the Lobo still lost. But I saw just this passion and this excitement for Lobo basketball. And it stuck with me ever since that day. I wonder if we're just as passionate about the things of God. I wonder if we get excited about the things of God. 
that we get passionate about the things that he'd want us to be passionate about. Because loving God with all your soul says, I'm going to care deeply about the things of God. And then after the soul, he says, love God with your, all your mind. What is it to love God with your mind? It means that you think about him. That you think about him quite often. I still remember when I fell in love with my wife, Laura. Back when we started dating. And when we fell in love, I couldn't stop thinking about her. I mean, I remember sitting at work and all of a sudden as I'm writing reports or writing messages, my thoughts would drift back to Laura. And I'd start thinking about, well, what's she doing and what's happening in her life? And as we were dating, I thought about her all the time. I just wanted to be with her all the time. Why? Because we were in love. The same is true for God. When you love God with your mind, you think about him often. You care about him deeply. You start reading his word. You start meditating on scripture, and it changes you. I love what it says in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. It says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boasts about this. That he understands and he knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. What does he say? Let him who boasts, boast in this. Let him boast that he knows me. That he has a deep relationship with me. Because your relationship with God is just that, right? It's a relationship. And relationships take effort. And the time that you put into thinking about God and meditating on his word, it draws you closer and closer to him. The last area that Jesus points out is to love God with all your strength. All your strength. What comes out in that word is what are you putting action into? Because a lot of times we can talk about loving God, right? But the proof is in the pudding with our actions and the way that we live out our lives. So we're to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a great list. My hope and my prayer for you is that you would pick one, just one of those areas to work on. Your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Maybe you say, I'm going to love God with my heart. I'm going to make better decisions that honor him. Maybe your heart in, has grown cold towards the things of God and you're not as excited or passionate about the things of God. And you say, you know what? I, I want to work on my soul. Or maybe it's your mind. Maybe the only time you think about God is when you come into church. What if you say, no, I'm going to think about God all the time this week. I'm going to schedule some time to be alone with the Lord to get close to him. Maybe it's to love God with your strength. You say, you know what? I've been sitting on the sidelines of this church for way too long. It's time for me to use my actions. It's time for me to step up and to serve. But make no mistake about it. When Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's a word that connects. He says, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. See, Jesus wasn't asking for a part of you. He's asking for all of you. He wants you to give every aspect of your being to him. But here's the problem as Americans. We are so good at compartmentalization. It's a big word, okay? But we are so good at compartmentalizing 
our life. I grew up as a child of the 80s, and in the 80s, we had TV dinners. Remember those? It had all the different quadrants that you could heat to perfection. You had like the main dish, and then you had the potatoes and a vegetable, and then there was this brownie that would heat to perfection, and it was delicious. And with these TV dinners came all these different compartments. And a lot of times I think that's how we live. We have this work compartment. Then we have our home compartment, our church compartment. But sometimes those areas don't mix together. Sometimes we don't live the same way. We're one person when we go to our friend's house. We're another person at home. We're another person at the job. That's not what God wants. God wants all of us. He doesn't want us to give 25 or 50 or 75% of our life to him. He wants all of us. And when we love God with everything that we have and everything that we are, we experience the fullness. But make no mistake about it. God is looking for the real McCoy. He's not looking for people who hide. It reminds me of his story of a couple that had just been dating for four months and that couple decided to go to Disneyland together. And they were in love. And that whole time they were at Disneyland, they wanted to kiss one another. But being a couple that didn't believe in PDA and not wanting to gross everyone else out in the park, they refrained from kissing. But the guy came up with the perfect plan. Because he knew that the haunted mansion was very dark. And he knew he could probably get away with it. So he looked at the girl. He said, do you want to go on the uh, haunted mansion with me? And she said, okay. So they go to the haunted mansion. They go down the very long elevator. And they get into their little doom buggy. And as the doom buggy is going around, it gets exceptionally dark. And the guy's thinking, this is my moment. This is the time I've always waited for. And so he starts kissing the girl. And all of a sudden, as he starts kissing the girl, the ride stops. And this voice comes over the PA system that says, Ladies and gentlemen, this is a family attraction. Please keep all hands and arms to yourself. And what the guy didn't know is that there are those night vision cameras where the ride operator can see everything that's happening in those little cars. So I said to Laura, <laughs> do, do you think they saw us? And she said, yes, Andrew, they saw us. <laughs> There's nothing hidden from God. Sometimes we think we're going to get away from, it, from him, but we, we can't, right? He sees everything. But here's what I love about God. God sees every part of our life and all the wrong things that we've ever done. And God still loves us. God still loves us. And he's not just looking to zing us. He's not looking to fire us down. But he loves us. And he wants nothing more than for us to experience the fullness of his love. Because when we receive that love... We love him in return. We want to be close to him. We want to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. We want to give him 
our very best. But Jesus doesn't just stop there. He gives us the pathway to get out of just going through the motions by first loving God, but then you've also got to understand that you were created to love others. You were created to love other people. That's how God wired you up. That's how God put you together. He goes on to say the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Jesus says you've got to love other people. Now this is so important for us. Because once you experience the love of God, that love should then overflow to others. Jesus gave us a bonus commandment. Another one that's almost just as important as loving God. It's to love other people. And what is he doing? He's echoing his teaching in Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, Jesus knew that we were most effective when we're loving other people. That's what turned the world upside down. Think about the early church. They were loving other people and not the most popular people, widows, orphans, others who were unlovable. They brought them in and they said, there's a seat at the table along with us. We want you to be included. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, God loves you. And they begin to express God's love to them. And I love what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. It says that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily the number of those who are being saved. What turned the world upside down? What shook this world? It was a group of people who said yes. I'm going to love God, and then I'm going to love other people. And when they did that, they turned this whole wide world upside down. And I believe the same thing about us. When we say yes to that same question. Well, this religious leader hears Jesus' response, and look at what he says in return. In verse 32, it says, Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one, and there's no other but him. To love him with all your heart, and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Look at how Jesus responds to this man. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. See, Jesus put them all in the right place. This religious leader understood that the most important thing for us to do on planet Earth is to love God and then to love other people. Now, I love this story, but we don't know what happened to this religious leader after this day. We don't know if he heard all this information and his life was truly transformed or if he just went back to his old way of living. I think that happens a lot of times, right? We come in here for a message or we watch this online and we think, oh man, that was the best message. But then we just go back to our regular old life. Doesn't really change us. But what I've seen in my life is that God can change the most hard-hearted of persons. He can change them on the inside. And it's usually when they understand the importance of loving God and loving other people. I saw this personally in my own life and in my own family. 
I grew up in a family where my mom was a follower of Christ, but my dad was not. My dad had gone to church when he was a kid, but some things had happened at that church that were really bad. And so from then on, my dad would kind of go to church with us, but he wasn't really interested in the content. In fact, he was a firefighter, so he thought that he was going to get into heaven just by all of his good deeds. And oftentimes he'd go to church with us, and because he was a firefighter, he had the big fat pager, like in the 80s again. But he had this big fat pager, and he would set the pager off in church himself. And then he'd run out of the church service so he wouldn't have to listen to the teaching. That was my dad. One by one, all of us kids, uh, we began to give our lives to Christ. And my dad was the last of us. Shortly after giving my life to Christ, I got baptized. And a few months later, I got really uncomfortable with the fact that my dad was not baptized. So this one night, I still remember it, we're sitting at a restaurant. It's me, my mom, my sister, and my dad. And I'm sitting there in the restaurant, and I'm really uncomfortable with the fact that my dad's not baptized. So I begin to yell at him in the middle of the restaurant. I begin to say, Dad, you need to get baptized. I was a good Baptist all the way back then, okay? I began to give my dad a hard time, and I made a scene kind of in the restaurant because I really wanted this to be true for my dad. Well, I went home that night, didn't think anything of it, but the next morning was Sunday, and we went to church, and my dad agreed to actually go with us that day. I still remember that day because I was sitting in my little classroom, and at the very end of that service, I saw my mom through the window, and she was running towards my classroom, and she was holding my sister's hand. She burst through that door, and she said, Andrew, Andrew, come quick. Your dad's getting baptized today in the service. My father had gone forward that Sunday morning, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And after he gave his life to Jesus Christ, he got baptized. What's more powerful in that story, though, than that story is the fact that my father's life was radically changed by Jesus. He was a different man. He stopped treating my mom bad. He started going to church with us, and he started to get involved at church. He stopped drinking. He was a new person. And here's what I've seen. If God could change the most hard-hearted person, there's hope for all of us. God can change us all. When we truly embrace this idea of loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And when we allow that love to overflow to others, that's what turns this world upside down. You know, as I was, I was preparing this message, I kept thinking back to that classroom story. And I wonder today if we were all in that exact same classroom. But instead of a cute little girl with pigtails... What if it was the God of the universe who wrote us a note? And he asked us the question, do you love me? And there were two boxes, yes or no. But what if it was Jesus himself, the one who went to the cross for all of us? And he says, will you love me? And will you show my love to others? How would you respond to that question? My hope and my prayer is that we as a church 
would be one of the most loving bodies of believers. That we would love God with every part of our life and that we would love other people. If we do that, I believe we'll turn this world upside down. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this message. Lord, thank you that this isn't me sharing this message, but God, this is you using me to speak to hearts and lives. So Father, I pray for my friends who are in this room and my friends who are watching even online, that God, you might stir into their hearts to love you with every ounce of their very being. That God, they would give you their very best. That they wouldn't give you the leftovers, but God, they would give you all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, that they would allow that love to overflow to others. God, so often we get stuck in just going through the motions, but you created us for more. You created us to love you and to love others. So renew our focus today, Jesus. Help us to live for you. Remind us of the truths that we found in Scripture. And God, would you change us on the inside? Pray for the ones who might be hard-hearted today like my own father. That God, this, Lord, might be that moment that they yield over to you and they let go of control. I pray, God, that they would have that courage to make a decision for you today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.